morning, good morning, it's good to see you, and uh, now you can hear me, so that all works out. We are so glad that you are here today and uh, joining us in God's house, and what a great day it's been already. Um, it's a beautiful day, and, and uh, we have the opportunity just to worship Christ our King and Savior, and we do that in so many ways. Uh, I just got through doing a, uh, a little seven-day Bible study on worship, and it was interesting how little of the time was spent devoted to the idea of singing when it was talking about worship. Uh, it talked about so many other ways that we worship God, and yet um, we, we reduce it so many times to just singing. But we can worship God with everything that we do and everything that we are and every choice that we make and every decision that we make and every time that we serve someone and every time that we you know, step out in faith, we're worshiping God. And so today, um, I just encourage you to worship Him and just embrace that idea of just giving yourself to Christ 100%. And, and fully. And so uh, we're excited to have you here with us today. We started a new series last week, um, and that series is called um, Growth Potential. And we're looking at this um, unexplainable infatuation that we have with our own sin nature. The idea that, that we, we understand for the most part that sin exists in our life, and yet we want to we wanna entertain ourselves with it right now is a really difficult time for me uh, as as the pastor at West Lonsdale because it's it's time for trunk or treat and so you all bring in bags and bags and bags and bags of candy and they sit in the office and I'm a diabetic and I love candy like I love candy. And so I walk by those those bags of candy and they just they speak to me as I go by. They say little things like, Todd, we're just little. Like, we're not that big. We don't have that many carbohydrates in us. And and sometimes I listen to them and I'll crack a bag open and I'll pull a little piece of candy out and I'll and I'll eat it. And this morning I walk by one of those bags and and, and they spoke to me in unison. All of the bags cried out in one chorus, Todd, we're little. Eat us. And so I, I'm going to be honest, I took an Almond Joy out. So if, if your car runs out of Almond Joys this year, it's my fault because I ate one. And so I ate it and, and I finished what I was doing. And as I walked back by, I thought, I could get another one. And, and I looked at it and I said out loud in the office all by myself, no, I'm not going to eat you. And I turned around and I walked off. I was so proud of myself. But I entertained the idea of these candy bars. And, and as I walked back into my office and shut the door and picked up my notes, I thought, Oh my gosh, that is exactly the way that we entertain our own sin nature. Like, we, we are infatuated with the idea of sin. And what is sin? And how do we determine sin? And can we justify sin? 
And, and I think in some ways we almost ask ourselves the question, is there such thing as righteous sin? Like, can I sin and it be an okay thing? Right? Like, like we say that about, about Christ's anger in the Bible. It was righteous anger when he got mad and he flipped the tables. Right? And, and, and that's true. It was righteous anger. It wasn't anger for the sake of anger. It was anger over a, a, a defamation of God's house. Right? And so, so Christ got so upset about that and his passion boiled over him and he did that. And so we, we do the same thing with our sin. Like, can we justify our sin? Like, is it really sin if it was if it was done with with good intentions? Like what what it, what makes that sin? So we have this infatuation with our own sin nature, and the reality is is that the more that we toy with sin, the more that we entertain sin, the more destructive it becomes to our life. And as believers. Accepting Christ is not an inoculation shot from sin. Trusting in Jesus doesn't mean that all of a sudden we are immune to sin and the impact and the effects of sin. It simply means that Christ has forgiven us of our sin and will continue to do so. But sin is still out there. And make no mistake about it, Scripture makes a very bold statement about sin, and that is, for all have sin. Like, there's no one in this room that is immune from it. There's no one in this room that has not sinned. We all have those people in our lives that were like, oh, they're, they're so perfect. They've, they've never even sinned. We joke about that with Nan all the time, like Leanne's mom. We're like, oh, Vicky's never sinned, right? Like, Vicky's never sinned. And, and, and she's probably the closest thing on the face of this planet to someone who has not ever sinned. But the reality is, is that Vicky has sinned. Like, she has. Vic said amen. I heard him. Um, she has. And so have I, and so have you, and so have all those perfect people in your life that you've put up on a pedestal that you say, oh my goodness, they are, they are, the, they are the person that I admire the most. We all are susceptible to sin, but even more than that, many of us are, are, are infatuated with the idea of sin in our life. And in the church today, it seems to be becoming more and more prevalent. Like, what can we now justify that we used to look at as sin? What can we now justify and say, I mean, it's okay, it's all right. Like, what, what, I mean, does Scripture really, like, come out strong against that? I mean, if Scripture's not strong about it, then is it really sin? I mean, Scripture maybe mentions it in passing, but is it really sin? Or, you know what, Scripture doesn't talk about that at all. Like, like, like internet pornography, Scripture doesn't talk about that. <laughs> That'd be weird, wouldn't it? You're reading the Bible, you're reading Psalms, and all of a sudden David's talking about internet pornography, and you're like, what? But it does talk about those things. Not specifically as internet pornography, but as conditions of the heart. You see, internet pornography is not the problem. The heart is the problem. And Scripture does talk about that. And so this morning, we're going to look at this idea of the anatomy of personal sin. But I want you to see a couple of passages of Scripture first. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Would you go back to verse 1 real quick? Where it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Right? What a a strange piece of Scripture to put in this, this passage. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith. Like, this is a passage talking about faith. And then it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You, you know what that says to me? It says that even in the midst of the strongest life of faith, sin can easily entangle us and trip us up. All of us know that person. That person that can't seem to stay on their own two feet. That person that trips on air. You know, they're just walking along and they'll, they'll, they'll trip on on the carpet, or they'll trip on the transition to the tile floor, or they'll trip on, you know, uh, uh, a root, or they'll trip on, you know, anything. You're just like, they just, boom, 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 right? They just are constantly falling. You're like, why are you on the ground again? That's, that's sin in our life. Like the moment that it comes in our life, it becomes a trip hazard, right? And so it trips us up. But look at this passage of Scripture also in Psalm chapter 19. Verse 13. Psalm 19, 13 says, this is David speaking. He says, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Right? Like, let you, keep your servant from, from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Deliberate sins. Like the idea is, is that no matter who we are or where we're at in life, sin is real and sin is present, and sin is dangerous. But it doesn't always start out like that. So today we're going to break down the anatomy of sin. We're going to talk about how sin develops in our life, and then we're going to look at some habits of sin, um, of those who are living in, in sin within their life. So we're going to look at this idea of the anatomy of personal sin, and we're going to kind of break it down, and we're going to, we're going to go back to the story of, in Genesis of, of Adam and Eve, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 for just a couple of minutes. We talked about it last week. I talked about it a lot. There's a reason for that. I believe that you can trace everything that mankind deals with right back to the garden. Like, I think that it is a, 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 a paradigm, a, a, uh, a representation of everything that we deal with in life. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3, um, beginning with verse number 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. 
At that moment, their eyes were opened and they were suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. I know, it makes me laugh too. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. So we're going to pause right there because then God gets into meeting out punishment and um, we're not going to get into that this morning. But we're going to look at this idea of, of this anatomy of sin. We have this simple story. It's a child's story, really. We tell it in children's Sunday school and we have pictures that go along with it and we have, we have uh, children's Bibles that depict this. And it's always Adam and Eve and there's always a snake around and there's always an apple involved and and we don't know what the fruit was. We we listen. We're pretty much 100% certain it wasn't an apple because they didn't grow apples in, in the Middle East. And so um, we're we're like 100% sure it, it it wasn't an apple. Um, but for some reason we're infatuated with apples. So that's what it always is. It's always a shiny red apple that that they have. Back in the 1982 World's Fair, a group from Carson Newman um, they did a performance. Uh, it's a, it's, it was a musical group from Carson Newman. I can't remember the name of the group, but it still exists. But anyway, it's a it's this great group of Carson Newman. And I remember being at uh, their um, at their performance, and one, in in the performance, they they do this depiction of uh, the the uh, uh, the Garden of Eden. And so they they had a fruit, and rather than it being an apple, they decided we don't know that it was an apple, so we're going to be different. So I remember in 1982 sitting at the World's Fair in the amphitheater watching this group, Carson Newman, perform this, and the fruit that they used was a papaya. And I didn't even know what a papaya was, but I was just like, that is not right. Like, that is biblically wrong. That is supposed to be an apple. And, and that's when I learned that it actually doesn't say apple in the Bible, and I was shocked, and my faith was shook. Um, and so, anyway, we see this whole development going on, and through it, we see the anatomy of sin in the life of every believer and really every person. We see an outline for how sin goes. This morning, we're going to look at that. The anatomy of personal sin always begins with simple entertainment. It always begins with simple entertainment. That is, simple entertainment of things that we understand or maybe we don't understand that we shouldn't, but yet that we shouldn't be involved with, but yet we feel are harmless or that we can control. We, we rarely just jump into what we would term big sins. Right? Like, like We rarely just say, okay, today I'm just going to jump full in the sin. I'm just going to belly flop in and I'm just going to immerse myself in it and I'm just going to cover up and, and, and just roll around in it. Instead, we slide into those things. My example is, is this. For Adam and Eve, it was just a simple conversation that they should have dismissed. They outright should have dismissed it. Like the serpent comes up. There's nothing sinful about the conversation they're having. Like it's not a sin to have the conversation that Adam and Eve were having. The serpent comes up and he says, hey, God really say that you, you can't eat you know, 
any of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. And Eve says, no, that's not what God said at all. Right? Like, this is a very like, good conversation at this point. The serpent says, hey, did God say you can't eat anything in the garden? She says, no, 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 that's not what God said at all. God said we could eat anything we wanted, we just can't eat from that tree. And then the serpent says, well, why? Why did he say that? She says, well, because he said if we eat it, if we even touch it, then we'll die. And he says, oh, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened and you will be made wise like him. At this point, Eve should have just walked away from this conversation. At this point, Eve should have just said, you know what? God said we shouldn't and that's, I'm just going to go with that. I'm just going to walk away from it. But instead, she entertains the thoughts that the serpent is selling her. She she entertains it. She gives it some validity within her own mind. She processes it around. Scripture says that she looks at it and she says, man, the fruit is beautiful on that tree. And I would really like to be wise. Like I would really like to see things like God sees them. And I would really like to know things like, like God knows them. And, and so while the conversation itself was not sinful, it led them to a place where they could entertain sinful thoughts and sinful acts. God specifically said, we're quarantining this tree. We are, it is off limits. You cannot go there. And yet, through this conversation that Eve and, and, and Adam is party to, he's back in the back somewhere like most of us guys. Our wife's having a conversation with somebody and we're just like doing our own thing. Right? Like We're clueless. We're not listening. We're not engaged in the conversation. Obviously, Adam was not engaged in the conversation because we see no response from Adam here. He's just in the back twiddling around going, man, my wife's pretty. Right? Like that's the thoughts in his mind. And so she says, she's interacting with, with the serpent. The serpent says, listen, God doesn't want you to eat that because He doesn't want you to be like Him. And all of a sudden, Eve starts to process that. The Scripture tells us that she says, man, she thinks, gosh, that is pretty and I want to be wise. Like, I want to have knowledge. She should have dismissed it, but she entertained the idea. She entertained the thought. And for us, so many of us, we do this, we see this, and, 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 and we entertain things that we shouldn't entertain that lead us to moments of crisis within sin. And so for us, maybe it's going somewhere that we shouldn't go. Maybe it's going somewhere that that we know we, we probably shouldn't be there. We shouldn't, we shouldn't attend. Maybe it's listening to something that we, we shouldn't be listening to, a conversation or some form of music or, or something that we shouldn't be listening to. Or maybe it's watching something that we, that we just feel is, is wrong, but yet we entertain it anyway. Or maybe it's a, a relationship with someone that we know we should dismiss. But yet we continue on, we entertain that relationship in our life, and eventually it leads us to moments where it's no longer simple entertainment, but now it becomes active participation. We're no longer just entertaining the idea of sin. We're no longer just entertaining the presence of sin. But now we're actively participating in sin. And Adam and Eve moved to that point. We, we, they entertained an opportunity, and eventually they found themselves participating in sin. Eve entertained the conversation. It changed her line of thought. So she went to the tree. A tree that she had walked by countless times. We don't know at this point in time. We know it's three chapters in. 
But we don't know how much time this has covered. Like, we don't know how many times Eve has walked by that tree and never really paid it much attention or never really thought about it enough to stop and go, I think I want to, I think I want to try that tree. And God said, don't eat of it. And she was like, okay, I'm cool with that. Until the serpent came along. And she entertains a conversation that she should have outright dismissed. She should have said, no, God said don't eat it, and so I'm going to walk away from it. But instead, she entertains this conversation. We see the conversation in Scripture. We assume that this is all to the conversation, but we don't know how long for real, this, for sure, this conversation has gone on. Right? We don't know what all the components of this conversation were. But instead of dismissing the conversation, she entertains the conversation, and now she becomes a participant. She goes over to the tree and she pulls off some of the fruit and she tastes it and then she hands it to Adam. Now, you know, we, I make light of Adam. I make fun of Adam because it's easy to do because I'm a guy and I'm a husband and, and I see so much of myself in Adam and, and, and so it's easy for me to, to make light of him. But the reality is, is that Adam stepped into this with as much awareness as Eve did. Scripture doesn't say that Eve took a bite and then she went and found Adam and she's like, hey, look at this fruit that I found and didn't tell him that it was from the tree. It says she took some and then she handed it to Adam. She shared it with Adam. She gave it to Adam. He was right there. He knew where the fruit came from. He could have dismissed it, but instead he actively participated as well. Right? And eventually what happens is we move from simple entertainment to active participation and all of a sudden we're covered in all of the filth that sin brings. Years ago, I went and I did a week of camp at a place called Camp Tapawingo. Some of you may have heard Camp Tapawingo. You may have been at Camp Tapawingo. I went and I taught at middle school week of Camp Tapawingo. And uh, middle schoolers, love your hearts. You're a special breed of people. Um, I love middle schoolers. They're, they're always full of, of life and they're always full of, of interesting ideas and thoughts on life. Um, and so I would teach and then I would teach in the morning and then they would do activities during the day and then I would teach at night and, and I would go out and see what they were doing and watch what they were doing. And in the middle of the week, they had this giant slip and slide. Now, I've told you about the giant slip and slide before. Uh, they had this giant slip and slide that went down this big hill and they covered it in water and baby oil and and baby shampoo, and then at the top of the hill, before a child would go down this, this slide, they would spray them down with, they would squirt them down with, with shampoo. And then they would push them down the hill. And, and then when they got to the bottom, they would spray them off with a water hose. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So I went over to one of the camp counselors, and I said, I, I don't understand. You've already wet the slide, and you've already put the baby shampoo on the slide. You know they're going to slide really fast. Why are you squirting them down with shampoo also? And they said, well, because we've done this camp for a long time, and what we have come to find out is that middle school boys don't shower often. And so this way, when we do it in the middle of the week, we can guarantee they get at least one shower while they're here because we're showering them. And I was like, that is brilliant, right? And so... Um, so I stood there and I watched them on this slide. I, I entertained the idea of the slide. I'm standing there in my shoes and my socks and my shorts and my shirt, and I'm entertaining the thought of this slide. And then all of a sudden, I look at Lee and I said, "I, I, I got to do this. Right? Like this just looks like too much fun." 
And so I take off in my shorts and my belt and my shirt and my shoes and my socks and I just take off down this slide, right? And I get to the bottom and I'm I'm soaking wet and I'm covered in shampoo and I'm covered in baby oil and I'm a hundred pounds heavier than any of these kids are, so I pick up way more speed. You guys, if you've seen like Christmas Vacation, you remember Clark Griswold going on the little uh, lubricated uh, sled that he had and he just burns a hole in it. I'm flying down this hill and I hit the bottom and every other kid stops at the bottom and I go skidding through the grass and I get up, I've got grass all over me, I've got soap all over me and shampoo all over me and, and all this stuff and everything and I'm, and I'm soaking wet in, in my clothes. I didn't take many clothes, there's no laundry on there and all of a sudden I realized this was not the smartest, I, like, this was not the best idea. But the reality is, is I stood there and entertained the thought long enough that eventually I became a participant. But I was not prepared for what I was getting into. And sin's the same way in our life. We entertain things that open the door to sin. And then we become an active participant. But the reality is, is we're not prepared for what we're getting ourselves into. We're not prepared for what we're stepping into. Into. The reality is, is we can only be around something or someone for so long before they begin to start to exact influence on us. And sin is very influential. We start with simple entertainment. Then we become an active participant. Then we move into the stage of uneasy continuation. Uneasy continuation. There comes a point where we recognize sin in our life and we have to make a conscious choice do I walk away from it or do I continue it and when we make the choice to continue it in the beginning there's this uneasy continuation there's this there's this fear of being found out there's this fear of being caught there's this fear of sin being exposed in our life and so we we very cautiously continue to wade deeper into the sin we we weigh out is the pleasure that i'm gaining from this sin more or less than what i think the repercussions of this sin may be and so we we continue to wade a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper into that sin. And we do it very uneasily. And we do it very cautiously. And we see that in Adam and Eve in their story. They went from entertaining the conversation with the serpent to actively participating and eating the fruit off the tree to an uneasy continuation when it says all of a sudden their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. They were ashamed of being naked. So they, they sew together these fig leaves and then when they hear God rather than immediately approaching him and saying God we have really 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 messed up but like God we have really blown it we we God we you told us not to do this and we did it anyway and now here we are God we are naked we don't even know what that means we just know we are and we know we're ashamed of it and what do we do about it but instead they sewed together their little fig leaves and they they, when they heard God, they hid behind some bushes. They ducked down. They got real low. And they said, maybe, maybe, you, won't, maybe you won't notice we're here. Maybe, maybe, maybe you won't notice we're here. There's a, 
There's a movie that came out years ago. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger and Tom Arnold in it. It's called True Lies. And there's a scene in the movie where um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Tom Arnold are being shot at. Now, Tom Arnold's a larger guy, or he was at this time, and uh, they're being shot at, and, and he's trying to hide, and the only thing that's there is this light pole. And so it's a really com- com- comic, comical moment, comical, is that a word? Comical moment in the movie where Tom Arnold runs up and they're shooting at him and he hides behind this light pole and he tries to suck in, right? And you can see like eight inches of him on either side of the pole and he's hiding behind this pole from bullets, right? And so it's this comical moment of him trying to hide, but yet everybody sees him and it's not protecting him from anything. And That's the way that when I envision Adam and Eve hiding behind these bushes or hiding among the trees as you're your version may say, that's what I envision. I envision Adam and Eve clumsily trying to hide from God and God walking along and saying, hey, Adam, where are you? And again, as we've talked about in in detail and in depth, God wasn't asking a physical location of Adam. He was asking a spiritual condition of Adam. And he says, Adam, where are you? And that's when Adam and Eve awkwardly stand up. And for the first time ever in the presence of God, they try to hide themselves Right? They, 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 they have that moment where uh, they realize that they're not properly clothed, and so they're, they're, they're trying to cover themselves up as they have this conversation. You know, they're like, hey, hey God, you know how you are when you've been caught with your hand in the cookie jar? Hey, God, um, here, here we are. And God says, what are you doing? And, he, and Adam says, well, we, uh, we were naked. And so we were, we were really afraid. We were embarrassed. And God says, you ate of the fruit, didn't you? Like immediately, He says, who told you you were naked? You ate from the tree, didn't you? There's this uneasy continuation. This idea that Adam and Eve should have just gone to God and said, we don't know what to do. We, we, we told us don't, and we did it anyway. We, what do we do, God? But instead, they continued on. They tried to hide it. They weren't comfortable with it. They were very uncomfortable with it. They were very uneasy about it. But they continued on in the process anyway. And we do that. Like we step and we we make things worse and we compound the effects of sin with this uneasy continuation. Because when we're not confident in something, Right? When we're not confident in something, then we then that's when we typically get ourselves into trouble. That's when that's when things typically happen. I remember I went with a group of uh, young men, a group of students one time to to cliff jump. They invited me out to cliff jump, and and one of the guys was younger than everybody else, and they were giving him a hard time, and they were doing continual riskier and riskier things, and they had him one time ready to try it. He was scared to death. You could see him sweating, and he was nervous and. He was, he was sitting there and he was, he was processing it. And I just looked at him and I said, if you're not comfortable with this, do not do it. Because you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be nervous. You're not going to jump far enough. Right? You're going to be uneasy about your steps and you're going to trip on something and you're going to get hurt and, and you're going you know, to seriously injure yourself and it's going to impact the rest of your life. So if you're not comfortable with it, don't do it. Because when we're uneasy with something, that's when... We get ourselves in dangerous situations. Adam and Eve had found themselves in this situation, and we find ourselves in this situation. Then we move from uneasy continuation into complete compliance. That is, there comes a point when 
when we've entertained sin long enough, when we've participated in sin long enough, when we've continued in sin long enough, that eventually we just become immune to it and we just comply with it. We say, okay, I'm, at this point, I'm all in, right? Like, I am, I am, I am sold. I'm 100% down with this. I mean, at this point, what, why turn back? And that was, Adam and Eve made that choice. You may not realize it, you may not recognize it, but Adam and Eve made that choice. When Adam spoke up and didn't say, oh my gosh, God, we, we really blew it. Right? Like That's recognition. God, we really blew it. And we are so sorry. That's repentance. But Adam complied with it. Adam said, I don't see how this is my fault, God. I don't see how this is my fault. You know you're deep in sin when you choose not to blame yourself for being in the sinful situation that you're in. I don't think this is my fault, God. I think this is... But really, God, I think it's your fault. Because of that woman you gave me. Nah, Adam. Nah, that's a bad night at home. Right, like when he gets home, you think Adam didn't hear about that? What do you think you're doing throwing me under the bus like that? I hope you know how to cook, right? Because you're going to be cooking your own meals from now on. Adam says, I don't think this is my fault, God. I think this is your fault. Adam went from shame to like crazy thought train boldness in one fell swoop. We were naked, so we were afraid, God, well, why did you eat of that? Well, I don't see how this is my fault. This is your fault. You created woman. You gave her to me. She's crazy. Right? Like, I don't know, God. She just handed it to me. I didn't know what I was doing. And so he turns to Eve, and Eve, she decides, after seeing God's reaction to Adam, because I have to think, there was probably a slight chuckle when Adam said that from God. She decides to go the same route. She doesn't recognize and then repent. She says, I, I don't see how this is my fault. Like, what? I don't see how this is my fault. That serpent that you created, God. Like, it's that serpent's fault. Complete compliance. No recognition of fault. No recognition of wrongdoing. No remorse for what they did. Just complete compliance with the sin that they had found themselves Waist deep in. We do the same, same thing. There comes a point where we just accept that sin as our way of life and we choose to regard, disregard the urging nature of flight. When we first find ourselves in sin, when we first move from simple entertainment into active participation, there's this sense of flight as believers that we have. This, this sense of, I should run from this. But as we continue on, we get to the point to where we begin to ignore that sense, that urging of flight, and we begin to comply with the sin in our life. And then it becomes a complete separation. Look, God is good at drawing pictures for us. And so he drew a picture for us 
He said, look, if you're going to entertain things that are going to lead to sinful thought, then it's going to put you into active participation. Once you actively begin to participate, then you're going to continue. Uneasy as it may be, you're going to continue in it. And then if you continue on in that sin, eventually you're going to begin to comply with that sin in your life. You're going to let it dictate your life. But when that happens, there is going to be complete separation from me. Because God said we will no longer walk together in the garden. As a matter of fact, you will never enter the garden again. And He throws Adam and Eve out. And from that point on, sin entered the world and the only way that we could have relationship with God was through forgiveness of sins. Redemption through repentance. We still exist in that world today. We still exist in that world today. So many times people will say, well, I just don't feel God in my life. And you should evaluate what you can feel, see, and sense in your life. Because there's a very good chance that when you can't feel God in your life, the things that you do feel and recognize in your life are pushing Him out. Because God and sin can't coexist in the same place. It's either God and sin is expelled, or it's sin and God is separated. Christ hung on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you left me here alone? Why have you in this moment chosen to leave me here as 100% man without your protection or presence? And God's response is not recorded, but the reality of it is this. Because I cannot exist in the same place as sin. I must expel it but you must carry it. Jesus had to carry our sin completely to death. So God had to remove Himself. When we actively participate in sin and allow ourselves to comply with its nature, then God is separated from us and it creates division and strife in our relationship with Him. And the farther that we push God, the easier it is to actively participate. We need to recognize the anatomy of sin in our life so that when we recognize how it develops, then we can cut it off before it reaches the final stage and seek God's forgiveness and seek His redemption through repentance of our sin in our sinful nature. This morning, we need to understand that we are all very capable of being embroiled in a sin controversy that can consume our lives. But if we understand that and we recognize the way that sin builds itself in our lives, then through the help and the power of Christ, we can expel it
and continue on in relationship with Him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Jesus, we just come to You right now. God, I, I don't know where everyone is in the room right now with sin in their life, Lord, but I would be willing to bet that there are people throughout this room that are engaged in the various stages that make up the anatomy of personal sin. Lord, there are some in this room right now that are, that are simply entertaining things in their life that are going to lead them to sin decisions. Lord, there are some that are probably actively participating in sin right now in their life. Lord, there are probably some that are very uneasily scooting forward in that sin and getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And Lord, they're doing that through justification. They're doing that through listening to the advice of those who don't have their best interest at heart. And they're scooting forward uneasily, deeper and deeper and deeper. And then Lord, there may be some in this room that just simply are consumed with sin in their life right now, Lord, and are in complete compliance with the sin. That is, they are letting sin dictate everything about their life. And Lord, the good news is is that no matter what stage we're in, if we choose to repent of that sin, that activity, that participation in our life, then You will be quick to forgive us and release us from that. So Jesus, I pray this morning that wherever we're at, no matter what's going on, Lord, that this morning, if we are in any of the stages that make up this anatomy of sin that we would stop this morning, recognize it, run to You, and seek Your forgiveness. God, maybe it's that we're not even a believer yet and we've, we've just embraced our sin life and we realize, Lord, through Luke this morning that we don't have to continue on in that, Lord, that You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that You died to forgive us, to alleviate us of our sins, and that if we simply trust and believe in You, then You will come and live in our heart and save us, and we can call You King and Lord, and we can have an escape from the sin that's in our life, the sin that's consuming us and destroying us. God, whatever it is, this morning, let us not continue to be captives and slaves of sin, but let us choose to find freedom in You. May ask this in Your precious and holy name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. The praise team is going to lead us. And as they do, if God is speaking to your life, maybe He's shining a light on something in your life that is sinful or something in your life that is leading you to a moment of sin. If so, this morning is the morning to simply reach out and seek God's redemptive grace. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's forgiveness, whatever it may be, as we sing, if God is speaking to your heart, just respond to Him this morning.